Blaster Master. Mega Graphics. Mega Action. to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I hear Mega as a description for anything, I'm thinking about the Sega Master System or, or like Sega in general, Sega Mega. That, that just doesn't seem like the right words to, to attribute to a game like Blaster Master. Well, it made me think of Mega Man, but you're right. The way they said it twice like that was they were. It was like what you would say if it was in the title or something. Like I had to stop and think. It's not Mega Blaster. Yeah. yeah why are they so hung up on Mega? Uh, when it seems to like lack any context in terms of the 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 title, I just think it's just lazy copywriting, which it probably was in this case. Yeah, you'd have to think that they would say Master Graphics and Master Action <laughs> or Blaster Graphics. Yeah, Blaster Graphics is great. Blaster Graphics <laughs> sounds good. Speaking of blasting, were you guys, you know, I don't know how well you knew this game beforehand, but that title, Awful, doesn't it sound like a, a shmup to you? To me, it sounds like a, an old educational game that I played in elementary school called Math, Math Blaster. Blaster. Yeah, that's what I that's what I know, too. <laughs> and before I played this, I could not get the image, even though I knew it wasn't the same game, I just imagined when I booted up it, you were going to be that little green guy in space. <laughs> I was just like, it's got to be that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had no exposure to this game uh, before we played this game, so I also thought of Math Blaster. Got it. Okay, well, that's something. I will say this is a pretty terrible name for a game. If we're, you know, it's just like the most generic thing we might have touched since um, that game that sounded like Star Wars and Star Trek built together. Uh, but you know, you can't you can't judge a game on its name, but you might be able to judge it on its cover. Which, this game's, I don't know if you guys have the box art pulled up, but it's also a pretty awful cover. Like, what's happening? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, pulled it I up, just Mike. called it up, too. <laughs> uh, I, it's, yeah, this is some interesting design work. So, this is what you would call a mixed media piece. Um, you've got some, uh, you've got some copy for the Blaster Master logo and, you know, a little bit of clip art in the background. And then you just take a picture of a CRT monitor, uh, and you just, uh, cause you know, you didn't, I'm sure Photoshop wasn't really a thing yet. So you would just sort of cut that picture out and, uh, get some Elmer's glue and put it on the rest. <laughs> yeah, really the, the, the alien in this looks like it, it has that CRT screen over it. Oh, it 100% does. <laughs> It also just the whole thing looks like it, 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 it simultaneously looks like it would be like the cover to some like. What's that uh, that Japanese magazine that always like leaks Kingdom Hearts? Not leaks, but shows Famitsu? new Kingdom Hearts. Famitsu. Like I feel like when I see like covers of that, it just looks like it's like a bunch of see, things kind of thrown together in there. Maybe so you're not also even just insulting Famitsu right scans now. Scans of it. I mean, you think they're listening? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> scans of it or something. It's just always like pictures all over the place. But simultaneously, it also looks like they took a magazine. And cut pieces out of it and, and pasted them, like, in weird ways. Oh, man, you have a lot to say. <laughs> yeah. This is the first time I've seen this, too. This is all coming at me right now. I'm, there's yeah. no filter. Well, guys, what does authentic arcade edition mean to you, since that's on the box art, and this game never came to arcades? <laughs> it's also strange, because in the manual for this game, they distance themselves from the arcade experience. Like, they come out and say, 
you're not going to find any scores here. So I don't know. They're, they're, I think their marketing department was just out of, out of sync, you know? Definitely, because there's also nothing involving like crosshairs. And I don't think you ever see, <laughs> well, maybe you see that guy uh, straight on like that at some point in the top down perspective, but I don't remember it. So uh, <laughs> let's move on because there's more to this game than just a box and you can't judge a game by its box. That's what we're saying here, right? You said that you could, actually. That's what you said. Oh, okay. Well, now we're saying you can't because instead we're going to talk about the game. Um, oh, okay. Brief overview here for the uninformed for Blaster Master. I'm going to describe this as like a uh, side-scrolling run-and-gun in which you traverse uh, a series of areas in a Metroidvania-like style uh, you do this both in a tank, which is referred to as Sophia the Third, and you can get out of the tank and explore as the main character, whose name is like either Jason or Fred. I didn't catch which one was the frog and which one was the person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's weird that they named a frog also a human name. And you gotta like explore uh, the the various overworlds and go into these doors that lead to like top down perspective uh, battles. And as you explore, you gain new power-ups and upgrades that allow you to continue making progress to new areas, ultimately tracking down the final boss. The plutonium boss. <laughs> I'd right. say that's a pretty good assessment. Yeah, I feel like the story in the manual gives you, both like clarifies and makes you a little more confused to the story that you see at the beginning of the game. I don't know if we wanted to, to jump into this right away, but you were, you were talking a little bit about the... Uh, <laughs> about the the plot there. Joe, go ahead and read least... it. <laughs> well, before I even read it, I, I want to describe what you see when you when you open it up. It's actually like a pretty nice little cinematic when you actually open up the game or turn on the game. Uh with you have this like nice music. You have a, a pet frog that apparently escapes your garage and you chase it to this giant box of apparently radioactive material that it gets into it jumps down some hole as it you know as it grows into i guess a monster and then you're like oh no my frog you jump down after it find this conveniently placed like motorized super bike or whatever whatever you want to call it tank or whatever it is and then you're like i guess i'm going to get my frog and then like the rest of the game like it's almost nothing to do with your frog like, I don't well, you know, do, is your goal... To, are you, do you have to kill the frog? Do you have to save the frog? I mean, is I there... think that his goal... Like, to, just to clarify something, that I, I need I need to be clear for the audience. Uh, the the hole wasn't, like, just... in it. He did, like, the frog didn't cause the hole. The radioactive uh, canister... I'm sorry, the radioactive chest caused the hole when the additional weight of the frog jumped onto it. Um, and th- that that's sort of what caused the hole. Um, and then you're, it's not really, I think you're just trying to find the frog. Uh, it, it's not up to you yet, whether your intentions are to kill it. Like, I, I don't know if Jason's intentions were to kill the frog, uh, from the very beginning. It may have right, I, evolved. I, I, I agree. I wasn't sure about that either, but then, then yeah, the manual kind of gives, gives, you know, give clarifies a little bit about that story. And I mean, do you want me to read the actual Copy word for word here. I, can, I, I don't can think we need word short. for word, but we would love All to right. spark let me, so Let's get into a little uh, little story time here. So the, the the manual gives you the context that your pet frog, whose name is Fred, your name is Jason. Your pet frog has grown tired of being kept in its tiny fishbowl, 
uh, and made a dash for a door. So it actually sounds like it is seeking freedom. It no longer wants to be <laughs> your pet. Yeah. Uh, and you jump down this hole after it. And you find this this vehicle that is apparently designed for the ultimate challenge against radioactive mutants living under the Earth's crust. I don't know how you know that, but apparently you're like, well, these mutants need to be stopped and are controlled by the plutonium boss. So, like, it clarifies things without really clarifying. It just kind of throws context at you where, where you're still kind of wondering, like, well, wait, what? why does my character need to defeat the plutonium boss? Will he get his frog back if he does that? It, is his frog now a bad guy? Yeah. So will he ever be able to get out? I think it's funny to nitpick at this very basic story. So it's you know it's not super important, but uh, I, I did think that that was interesting. Well, Joe, if you if you want a real problem, the the Japanese version of the game makes everything a lot more complicated because it has nothing to do with a frog and a kid named uh, Jason. Instead, the game takes place on the planet Sophia the Third. Yeah. No, it just it makes just as little sense. Yeah, but just, no, think about that. The, the tank was named Sophia the Third in the American version, but that's actually just the name of the planet they were on in the Japanese one. I think the uh, I think also the tank is also called that. No, I think it actually has a tank sounding name in yeah, the Japanese I, version. I, yeah, it's it's definitely a different name because I, I I don't have the whole story here in front of me, but oh, it's actually called the Metal Attacker. That makes more sense. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and the Science Academy of Nora. It has a satellite orbiting near Sophia the Third that somehow managed to avoid an invasion, and then they built a weapon which wound up becoming the metal attacker. And then they send this guy Goes's no, they send you to defeat Goes's army, and you're a young soldier named Kane Gardner who is going to try and take down the Goes army. In the year uh, 20, honestly, they 2052. had two whacks at it. They had two whacks at this story. <laughs> And the, all they could come up with was gibberish on both counts. Like, it, usually one of the localizations makes sense to some degree. But not, no, they couldn't hear. Yeah, it's not even like there's some weird translation problem going on. Or it's just, <laughs> they were just like, let's just make a cool game and just throw a story at it. The Japanese but, one does have one thing, though, that really helps it out here. And that's the clarification that they're talking about the year 2052 of the Space Age calendar. So, yeah, the Space Age calendar right. it has is nothing not, to do with ours. Yeah, it's and not if the it, common era. It's a it different could be galaxy. Whatever. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I like to see it the way that I saw it before I opened up the manual, which is your frog escapes. You're like, what the heck's going on? You look down this hole, you find this giant mech, and you're like, wow, I'm just very curious. And he just starts exploring, and then slowly gets in over his head, and and by the end, he's like, I need to defeat these evil things I discovered. And like, like the the frog escaping was just what kickstarted this whole thing and then you went down the quote-unquote rabbit hole and uh and just by the end you're you're invested in in defeating the evil villains below the earth it really is just a a a really good um uh cautionary tale of owning (laughs) frogs as a pet because then you just get it in over your head and all that right so if we're talking game now uh, when you, when you actually start the game, you know there still is like a cutscene, so to speak, of just the Sophia the Third going down this hole, and uh, and then you start gameplay. But I actually just think like right away, I was blown away by the graphical presentation of all of that. It seems way better than most, if any, NES games we've played so far. What were you guys thinking about the graphics? Oh uh, well, uh, a, a little bit of a preface. So not really hearing much about this game before and then reading that mess of a manual 
uh, I was actually very pleasantly surprised when I saw that uh, just the art in like the um, the cutscene prior to this and the cutscene of uh, like the back end of the Sophia going down the hole and then just opening up into the game itself. Like it, this is one of the best looking games we've played. I think I agree. Yeah, I think even just before you even get into the the game, just the presentation. You know, as silly and, and, you know, nonsensical as the story itself is, the presentation of the way they present it kind of, like, really gets you invested in, in what you're about to play. <laughs> I'm serious. No, like, I, you know, I'm not invested in, like, the story actually itself, but um, the music and, you know, the the, the frames of, of your character, like, going into this hole, I'm just like, oh, this is great about to be a cool adventure. Yeah, I'm, you know, for the time, I think it was great. Yeah. And, you, you know, it's funny there, too, is, like, it doesn't stop with just the cutscene. I think we've seen some games that have had like some pretty good cutscene art. I'm thinking of a Golgo 13 and then yeah. like, and then it goes to the game and the game is like kind of shit and you know, or like, <laughs> you know, forget about the quality of the game, but just the graphics in the actual game aren't like that well designed or anything. And then here I actually thought that the, you know, everything had like a, uh, a design decision to it that it all looked, it all looked good and it didn't ever look like, um, it didn't ever look like, oh, well, what the heck is that thing? Uh, that doesn't yeah. belong in this area, you know? Like, everything it's all very looked cohesive. cohesive. Yes, there yes. we go, cohesive. Yeah. We timed it up. I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I think part of that, I mean, granted, on, I know we haven't talked about the, the different, like, types of levels yet, but, like, on the, on the overworld, if you're walking as a character, you're just a tiny little, like, speck or whatever. But in, like, the main top-down levels, I think part of it is that, you know, this is, the, a lot of times when you see those, like, Legend of Zelda, you've got, like, I don't know, like one tile by one tile character. And this guy's got to be like, what? Like, what is he like? Four by four. Oh, yeah. He's a big so, like, boy. Yeah. There's plenty of room for detail in all of, in, you know, in all of the sprites. talk about controlling Sophia the third and navigating these like I, I call them overworlds but I think they're described as like areas like so there's area one area two and then there's little sub rooms inside these areas what did you guys think about the gameplay inside Sophia the third and the idea that you're controlling like a tank in the way that you controlled Samus when you were playing Metroid very tight it's a uh, it's one of the you know you know Mario is the uh, platonic ideal of game controls in a 2d medium uh and i think that this is uh like right below there it, it feels very fluid it feels like you control it and you're not um like there's no stickiness to platforming uh you can shoot in the directions that you're trying to shoot in um except for one but it, it just feels natural yeah it definitely has weight to it and it's it's cool when you first even when you first pause the game and and see that like there are all these like blank attributes to the tank when you realize like oh, this already feels cool but it looks like I'm going to like earn more abilities for this tank to do so you're also kind of like excited to continue exploring it's also kind of neat that you can get out of the tank uh and have a different <laughs> health bar 
And like it, it sometimes can help you in in some cases actually fight things that you couldn't hit with the tank or, or reach spaces that you couldn't get into yeah. with the tank. So so that's a that's a mechanic that I uh, that the manual didn't really make clear to me how it would work. Like I thought that uh when you're driving around in your car, you would get to these little areas that would trigger like, oh, now you're getting out of your car and you're going to play this level outside of your car. Um, I had no idea that I could get out of the, the tank at any point. And when I finally hit select and did it, it blew my mind. I, <laughs> it, that's what's the moment where I was like, oh, this isn't like I was expecting a, a very cookie cutter experience. And then that, that just flipped a switch in my head of like, oh, this is something else. Yeah, I think it says something that when you get out, too, that you're a different size, right? You're a smaller thing. It would be kind of weird if you were the same size as the ship (laughs) and that you can kind of fit into certain situations, at least early on, that that Sophia the Third can't handle yet, like uh, the swimming portion. You don't have the dive power up yet, so you have to get out. That's kind of like the aha moment, I think, for most players of like, oh, I have to get out of the ship at points to do things. And then there's also like when you leave the ship, wherever you left it, even if you go into another room and uh, and do the top-down perspective part of the level, when you go back, the ship is, like, right where it was. And I just think yeah. there's something really neat about that, that it didn't just, like, you know, like, load up a spawn point next to the door or something, even though that's yeah. not where you left it. It felt like the world was alive in that respect. <laughs> right. I mean, th- even, it, it, that even extends to, like, enemies you kill. Exactly. There's they don't persistence that you just don't... I did not expect to see... Because every game we've played, there's no such thing as persistence. Like you, if you go off screen a little bit uh, and come back, that enemy you just killed is going to be magically there again. But between the car being still there and the enemy still being dead, like that—that's something so simple that it, it just like was amazing to me. And the thing I was talking about earlier in respect to Samus from Metroid is just what did you guys think though, as you're as you're playing mostly as the tank. What was that like in terms of exploration and just like using that as your main character? Like, does does that feel weird? Or I know, Sean, you really liked the mechanics of the, the car itself. So did it just feel weird to be a car as your character? Yeah, I, was, I think that once you kind of got out of your head about the fact that you're a car and usually, you know, in a game like this, you're a person. It, it didn't bother <laughs> me at all. Like, you know, it, it didn't feel like usually in a game like this, if you were to get into a car... It would be like oh, to get to be faster and to be a little more powerful, but then you can't fit through tight spaces and things like that. But the whole the levels are designed to kind of like fit the tank, and and it really is kind of designed basically like it would be if you if you weren't in the vehicle. Um, and then it just gives you options or sometimes the necessity to get out, uh, which I thought you know is it was pretty welcome because there was no it, it first yeah. of all felt like it gave context to all the power ups and you know you might you get missiles and you get other things and it just. Didn't feel like it's just like, oh, this is all stuff on your, you know, in your hands. It's like, no, this you're actually upgrading this machine. Yeah, Joe, I think for sure, once you get, uh, you know, you mentioned missiles, which are clear things that like a tank would have that necessarily like a a person wouldn't have, although Samus does get missiles. I think it's once you get those like the dive engine and the wall upgrades that uh, you're able to like take the traction of the wheels and go like climbing up vertically on the walls. And I forget what the second one lets you do it. I think you can hang on the ceiling or something Uh, that like gives context to the tank. So it really is those power ups that help a lot more to sell the idea of why they chose to have you control a tank. Granted, 
you know, because the Japanese story is so different, it just makes sense to be in a tank, I suppose, instead of when you're trying to it, save a frog. It, it's basically the <laughs> opposite reaction that I had to the movie Cars, because when I saw Cars, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I can't accept that these are cars talking and doing things and, you know, constructing buildings and all. Like, I could not accept that. But all you needed to do was give me the context of a of a person getting into and out of said car. Uh, and I'm on, I'm on your side. This should be a, a, spe- a special cut of the movie Cars, where at the very beginning, a guy just gets into the car. That, and then see, you that know would that make the whole movie is controlling the car. Yes, that would make everything feel much better for me. <laughs> um, I, I do want to mention one thing that we that we didn't talk about with the with the getting in and out of the tank is that as much as I think it was a cool mechanic, I think it was maybe a little underused. I, I didn't. I, there were maybe one or two times where. I was shooting over something and I could get out of the car and like kind of go prone and shoot something that's low to the ground. And otherwise there were a couple of times where it makes you get out. But I think for the most part, the fact that you can get stuck when you get out of the car, like the first time I got out of the car was where, where it's, I keep calling it a car. The tank is where it's prompting you to, like we were talking about before when you have to go underwater. But I got out of the tank and jumped from the top platform into the water because I wasn't sure I'd be able to get the, the tank back up there thinking oh well there's a ladder on the other side i'm sure there's some way to get back around but to my knowledge there's no way to get back up uh to where i left the tank from there i was just stuck as the person trying to jump up there and the other problem with being a person is there's an absurd well realistically it's not absurd but for a video game an absurd level of fall damage where even just jumping a little higher like landing on a platform a little lower than what you jumped on will automatically kill you. Huh. So uh, so I found myself completely stuck. Yeah. And and I had to just die in order to get back to my tank and lose one of one of your lives which are not infinite. Yeah, I never uh was separated from my car like that. I also didn't have this like I guess the aha moment for me happened somewhere else because I don't remember a moment in the water that um made that that I felt like a prompt that like oh you got to get out of your car now. It was somewhere entirely different. Like I was able to just maneuver in the water fine with the car, or the truck, the tank. Um, but <laughs> make up your mind. <laughs> but um, I, I guess I just never felt like I, I liked the mechanic. But I guess I, I just used it even less than you guys did because I, if it was too low to the ground, I I just sort of jumped over them. So I only got out of the car when I had to go into a. Uh, into one of the sub sub rooms. Yeah, I think what you did is honestly probably the, the smarter way to deal with that anyways. I kind of just more was like testing it. Like, well, if I can't hit him now, could I hit him as a person? But I don't think there's ever like a reason why I would be like, well, I need to kill that guy rather than just go around him. Yeah. Which is just another reason why like as cool as as cool as that mechanic is, they didn't put enough reason for me to use it. It's definitely missing a puzzle mechanic to the world in the sense of like, reasons to explore and leave your ship that like you have to then like later after solving the puzzle you're able to like retrieve your ship from like the, a ship whatever we're calling this thing all sorts of things yeah this yeah, is the why wagon. they want you to call it sophia it would submarine. be so much easier if we all just called it sophia okay, uh, Sophia. you know but if you have to do it that way that would be like a good <laughs> excuse to get out i actually used it for a different reason and that's because when you are uh the the main character jason you have a separate health bar, and once you get back into Sophia, you gain all your health again. So it is kind of a cheese mechanic there, if you will, that you can uh, yes. you can get out, fight as a full health character, 
and then get back in the car. And this is assuming you're low on health or whatever in the tank for a reason to get out of it. But I, I thought that was neat that they're able to keep track of, first off, like so many different things, the position of your tank, the health of your tank, the health of you, the enemies you've killed, but also that, uh, you know, there's like a a reason to be out of the car for uh, for lack of any other reasons, like there's no puzzles or uh, progression moments outside of the fact that, you know, we and we haven't talked about this yet, and we probably should, that there are doors you have to go through to get to these top-down perspectives to uh, make progress through the different areas. Do you guys want to talk about that? Yeah, so usually there's uh, a, a boss or some just power-ups will be hidden behind these doors that you can only go into if you are in pedestrian mode. Um, and then you get, uh, you know, like that sort of zoomed in Zelda shooter experience. Um, and uh, I mean, that that's pretty much it. Like you, you go in there for power-ups, you go in there for bosses. Yeah. And it has like this interesting mechanic though, too, of two different forms of attack. Uh, and, and I really, couldn't and maybe this was just like my failure to understand but i was mostly just using my regular attack because it seems like the special attack has like a cert it has to hit a certain sweet spot for it to register as a hit is it a grenade is that why it's I like think it's a grenade yeah got it okay it's just going to be damage at the end of that like shoot tail thing it's not going to be like a like a the equivalent to like a hit scan right well, the only time I found myself using that grenade or whatever it was was when there's sometimes when your when your gun is powered up is not powered up at all. The game pays a little too much attention to the fact that your character is right-handed. Have you guys had this problem? <laughs> yes, where it's yeah. like, like I get that it's like it wouldn't be realistic if the bullet came out from like the center of him or anything. But like there were times where I had to be up against a wall shooting like along the wall, and something else up against the wall wouldn't get hit because like my right hand was like too far out and you couldn't like aim so there was just no way of hitting it unless you went around it went on the other side so your right arm yeah, would that, be up against was, the wall that's one of the most noticeable quirks for me of this mode uh i i had this i had to like trick some enemies into going in a certain direction so that i could shoot them safely yeah it was fun yeah let let me ask you this does it feel unnecessary to have this mode i don't think so at all i think that this this mode kind of to me feels important to the game because it gives like that much more I don't want to say meaning, but like it just gives that much more reason for you to be doing all the exploring you're doing in the ship because you're looking for these moments where you can get out and go through this like it's almost like it's almost like the the Legend of Zelda has dungeons, but then getting to the next dungeon is just like a different kind of dungeon instead of an overworld, you know what I mean? So to yeah. me, I think it I think it was really cool to like get to this point and be like, Alright, now I get to get out and like kind of do my like on foot exploring through this sort uh of yeah, uh, maze. I mean, granted, they're probably less confusing than the than the overworld, but it, it was just a cool change of pace, and it never exactly. felt with like the three kind of ways to play the game. It never felt like they were like uh, in like contrast to each other. They always felt like they fit together so well. Even like the the top down levels would have like themes and elements and and music that fit with the the section you were in on the side scrolling tank levels. Yeah, I so think it, it like enriches it enriches both modes uh because like whether whether you enjoy playing as Sophia um or not like the fact that there is something to to break it up a bit in these subrooms/boss slash battles 
uh, I, I think it, uh, it it doesn't allow you to get as bored as you would otherwise. Yeah, it definitely breaks the game up, as you said, Sean. I just, you know, and I, I'm not critiquing it. I'm asking the question of if it needed to exist. I It's almost another problem with, with the, the game. And maybe this is just itself in the in the Metroidvania world of things that there usually are some sorts of puzzles or uh, reasons for exploring outside of areas that you normally would. And in this one, it's kind of the same thing where when you go through one of these doors and you enter this new thing, you're really just trying to get to the end of the area. Uh, there's no like secret rooms or, um, or puzzles you have to solve or like move this rock or, you know, and sometimes that can get annoying. So move this rock is not something I'm a fan of. It's just an example. <laughs> uh, sometimes it can get annoying, but I think this game is just missing a, a puzzle or strategy element to it. And it's just more of a, a, action run and gun game at the end of the day yeah i mean i agree that it you know it would never hurt to add a puzzle element to it but i think that it's just does so well at just being the action run and gun game that i i'm okay with it like the, the way it is i think that there is something really cool about uh you know going through one of these like top down dungeons if you will getting defeating the boss getting out and being like all right let's get the heck out of here and like get back in your in your vehicle and like i don't know it's, there's something very like action movie badass about it that's like a little yeah, wish fulfillment. No, I agree. I I think when when it comes to games like this, where where there's like upgrades that you have to get, um, just the whole Metroidvania thing, when it's done poorly, like the upgrades just feel like keys. Like the like, oh, you got this key, and I can open that door. But in a game like this, where there is some creativity to the design of the uh, uh of the upgrades you're getting, and there's enough variety in level design and enemy placement that they're not just keys to move forward but they're also allowing you to have more expressive play like you you don't need to use all the you don't need to use hover when you're fighting some enemies but it like it's it, it could be it could be helpful in the way that you're playing um whereas somebody might stay on the ground like when it's something when it when it adds uh when it adds decisions to how you could just play the game normally, I think that they've done that well. I would just like to see a a giant map of Blaster Master with all five areas and see what that looks like as a, you know, just a beginning to end of the game, getting only the necessary um, power-ups you need and stuff like that. And then also having a map of Metroid side-by-side side with that. And I just wonder how much more complex the Metroid one would be in a meaningful way, not just complex for the sake of being difficult, in a meaningful way, because a lot of this game in, in the different sections of the areas as, as they're broken up between the rooms, a lot of it is just kind of, you know, a vertical or horizontal through like hallway like. And, you know, we, we joke about that being a problem in today's games, these hallway games. But this this game does suffer from that same problem. There's, there's very little uh, platforming outside of just, you know, oh, well, if I start at the bottom of this level, I have to move up to the top, or if I started on the left side, I got to get to the right. I, I don't know. I, I thought that there were, I definitely found plenty of times where I was like a little lost or trying to, trying to re- retrace my steps to figure out how I got here, especially later when you start backtracking, which I know was something I think we, we debated about during Metroid, whether backtracking is, is okay or if it's kind of annoying. And I, and I don't even remember where I landed in terms of Metroid. But I think in this game, at least, granted, I only got about a little more than halfway through this game. So maybe I would have gotten more annoyed with the backtracking. 
But uh, in this game, I felt like I didn't mind it. It felt like like an organic way. Like I'm I'm getting to the next level. It, it's not just like it made travel feel like I don't know. I had some agency of like deciding. Okay, well, how yeah. do I get here and where do I and go? There's next? enough and, branching. Like I mean, obviously the branches meet up again most of the time, but there there are enough like different ways that you can traverse that. Like yeah, maybe the general direction you're going is to the right, but it's not, like there there are like those very short halt like hallway like uh zones that you'll go through a door, hop over two screens and go through another door, but that's also broken up by much larger environments throughout these levels. Sure, I would just argue that I'm not I'm not certain that anything meaningful happens between those. I mean, I'm just I'm cheating now and I'm pulling up these maps and I'm looking at them. And it it really is kind of like you, you know, these are maps that a three-year-old could solve with a pen to, you know, to find the exits between them. It's not like there's these diverging paths where like, oh, well, if, you know, you got to go this way first because there's a thing over here. And then you go down because you couldn't have gone straight there first because you don't have this yet. You know, I, I guess I just don't know what it's harming. Like, yeah, it's maybe they're simple when you're zoomed out. Um, but if it's if the environment is conducive to the gameplay experience that uh, uh, th- that the game is um, is supplying to you, like, is it is this bad? Like, is it? Um, yeah, you, I, I, I guess I, I'm not sure what the actual like I, yeah, what, what the I harm like is here. From well, my, it's a game about you, exploration, I, I, right? What? It's a game about exploration. Like, you're trying to explore this brand new underground world that Jason's just found. And, and it's just it's a little empty and you find these power ups and yeah, there's there's backtracking, but it's nothing, you know, to get back to the point of like exploration. There's not a lot to actually explore rather than just moving forward. I don't know. Maybe I just was much worse at navigating, but I, I felt like even if it is like there's not that many other ways you can go, I did feel like I, I you know, I was having a lot of agency. If You know, it's probably an illusion, but it felt like I had agency in in deciding where to go next and like, should I go this way or that way? And yet, like you, somebody said, like maybe you'd end up just in the same place no matter what. But there were like sometimes where this was something I didn't care for at first, but there were sometimes where you'd, you'd find a top down section where you're like, Oh, this is where I'm supposed to go next. And it turns out there's just a bunch of like power ups and, and pickups in there. So I, I, I don't know, maybe again, I'd have to play more of it. And then I'd, I'd be thinking like, well, yeah, this is getting like a little too linear, but I never felt like the game was saying, like, you have to... I don't know. It never felt like it was like, I have to really... Like, the game was about searching and finding. It just felt like it was about navigating these these different yeah, levels I, and, you know, exploration in a story sense, but it didn't feel like I needed to be, like... I, it, I never thought that the game was like, trying to put me in a maze. It it didn't feel like uh, hallways to me. It didn't feel like FF, Final Fantasy X hallways. It, it felt like there was more to it. But, I mean, zooming out, I'm looking at it as well. Yeah, they're simple. But when I was playing the game, it didn't feel that way. Totally. Yeah, and, and the, I, I again, I keep saying I didn't get further than than level four or five. But but you know there was the the one level when you get the hover ability and you have to kind of go back to level one, and you got to sort of remember like wait, we're, there were platforms that I couldn't reach at the beginning of the game. I bet I can get back there and find those. To me, it just felt more about like unlocking the new paths and and you know, remembering where to go next and trying to figure, you know, that kind of thing out.
So that's exploration, but in terms of just progression as you're getting these upgrades and, and you're going along in the game, I mean, we always love good power-ups in our games, and, and I think we briefly touched upon this already, but I think that the power-ups in this game for Sophia the Third and also for your blaster uh, are are really meaningful, and, and you feel powerful, uh, assuming you collect everything. I don't think you actually have to collect everything to to get to Area 8. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree on the, uh, uh, on the, like, uniqueness of the power, power-ups that you get and the feeling of power that you, uh, have when you're using them. Uh, I, I guess I don't know, uh, if you need everything, uh, because I don't think that I've explored the entire game, uh, and I may have missed things, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, th- that's sort of what I, I guess I, I very much want, um uh some complexity to level design but again when when you're when the core experience is using these um is using these upgrades uh and they did that well i guess that's where i uh that's where i see that differently and i can confirm now that you actually do need all of the sophia upgrades in order to get to the end gotcha uh it was just i i guess i was I didn't even know about, because um, I didn't get past Area 5 either, Joe. I didn't know about the key uh, uh, that gets you to Area 5. <laughs> that's what that's what your frog drops, right? I never saw it. So I, I can't, <laughs> I, I can only debate. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but, you know, I think, I think that these power-ups are really cool. And the fact that uh, it's not just like, you know, the hyper beam and the crusher beam, if that was like the whole, the whole game of just the, and even those are cool for the record. I'm just, you know, the fact that you can destroy blocks that you've seen before, but now with, without that upgrade, you couldn't do it. That's also very, uh, Metroid-like. I, I just appreciate that they actually changed maneuverability of Sophia as well. The hover one working really well. And, um, you know, the dive engine being something that I just assumed that, like oh, wa- like because of area one, water's always going to suck in this game with Sophia, <laughs> and it's nice that they actually like do that to to reward you later, you know, much yeah, later I, apparently. I wanted to talk about the the water engine because I feel like it's this bittersweet thing in game design that that I like in theory when I'm thinking about it, and, and sometimes when I'm playing it, but where the the game almost like goes out of its way. To put a whole level of just really frustrating gameplay in there, I I, I don't know how you guys <laughs> felt, but I felt like that whole underwater part was very very frustrating. But then the getting the power up that suddenly makes that easier is like the most satisfying thing in the world because you've spent so much time being frustrated. So it is like this kind of catch twenty two where it's like, well, you have to frustrate your player before you can like give them this a reward this great. And I think that it's actually maybe like a little bit of a a less common thing now than like when we were when we were kids playing like really any I'm trying to even think of a good example like you know any of these I mean even like nah, I can't think of a good example but like any of these like older games that we played that were like difficult and it, Final Fantasy is a great example where like you get the airship and yeah. suddenly like traverse trudge through is, yeah exactly yeah. And, 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 but it, that wouldn't be as significant if you started out with the airship. You just, you, you would just not have the appreciation for the size of the world. And I think it's the kind of a similar thing here, too. You you really appreciate that power up you got because really you're only going to use it a couple more times when you're in the water, but you have the context of how hard it was to get through the water. And you're just like, thank God my life has gotten so much easier now because <laughs> I, because I, I earned it, you know? Yeah. I agree. Saying it right now, I don't even have anything bad to say about it. But sometimes when I'm playing, I'm like, just give me the freaking thing. 
So, it's the fact yeah. that, uh, you know, Joe, that each of these power-ups does something meaningful to the environment as well, you know? So I think besides just the fact that they, you know, the hover might make it easier for you to dodge enemies, it's also, like, required movement to get to get around things in the, in the same sense that, like, that hyper beam that you get early on, like, that's the only way to destroy the Guardian uh, that is blocking area two, you know? Yeah. There, things like that are, are cool because they have like this twofold thing of you can see the reason why you can't progress further, but you need the power up in order to do that. And I think that goes back to that exploration thing I was talking about earlier of, I was just really posing the question of does, does this game need more exploration? Because a game like Metroid, where you would just keep, if you just kept moving forward and getting the power up that you needed and then immediately moving on, wouldn't feel as good of like a lost in space kind of journey. And this is no different. I mean, in in the English one, we're not in space, but in the Japanese version of the game, you're in space. And so you, you have this feeling of exploration. And I just wondered if they could have pushed that a little further. Yeah, I think they, I think they could have, but I just think it would have been a totally different creative decision. You know, like it would have been a different, yeah, to me, it just didn't feel like that's what they were going for. Like that, that lost in space. And it was more just like, go through this adventure and, and you know, it, there's a little bit of find your way, but it never felt like it was like Metroid. I remember it feeling like, oh, they want you to feel scared and lost. And this is almost horror where this was like, ah, you're just going and you're shooting, you know, you're shooting these mutants and you're trying to get to the bottom of this. And this felt a little more lighthearted to me. There's another thing, too, with a a lack of a map and having to complete this game in one sitting. There, there's no save feature like there was in Metroid. Does that bother you guys? The map thing actually doesn't bother me here because of the straightforwardness of it, but the the completing in one sitting feels like a big ask for Master Blaster. No, that that is a big problem. Uh, it needed either passwords or a save function. Um, it, I mean, I don't. I also don't mind there not being a map uh, because, yeah, they all have like a there's sameness to it in some regards, but they're still. Like these maps are memorizable. Like they're still landmark-ish things that you can like put in a mental map. Um, or if you truly no, needed I, to, you could just draw your own map. You know, I think like for games yeah. that are this basic, that, that, that that's actually a little fun. It wouldn't be fun in a three D game to draw no. a map, but in these kinds of games, it it is fun. Yeah, yeah, and, and not to mention that I do think that the maps that are provided in the manual, while not super detailed when i first looked at them i was like that's ridiculous like how is that even helpful but then throughout the game it actually was pretty helpful like especially because like i think if you if they hadn't included those maps uh in the manual i would have been like a little more frustrated with the fact that like the door to i, I don't remember exactly but like the door to stage seven is in stage one but then the door like the it's not chronological and there's really no way in the game of having any idea so it was nice to be able to check okay at least i know i need to get back to stage three in order to move on or whatever it was um so that i was okay with but to your first question mike yeah i that's i hate uh the idea of like that they made this so you have to go through in one sitting uh that that's one thing that i think is just like the it was just not like the the norm at the time and like i think that that and like the idea of having uh a set number of lives are just two things that i could completely almost all the time no matter what do without and yeah they also they do give you continues and they 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 start at the beginning of whichever level you are on or whichever like area you are in uh so it's it's not quite a wipeout of progress but they i think they should have given you unlimited continues if they were going to do it that way um because again there's no scoring they they brag about there not being any scoring uh 
So why not just give us a limited continues? Yeah, and 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 a third thing, just because we're talking about it, and I feel like the, all of these complaints go hand in hand, is what we talked about earlier: how you can actually get stuck, and and you are forced to 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 kill yourself to lose a life, one of your precious lives in this game that only has a set amount of lives that you have to finish in one sitting, like <laughs> all compounding on each other, just like really kind of hurt the experience, in my opinion. You know, you did make me think, though, Joe, that we ha- we didn't really talk about the the health meter and i think that's important in a game that wants you to complete it in one sitting did you guys think that was enough health i actually found it pretty generous this game would suck if you were like one or two hits and you were dead i liked yeah. that the, and the and the health itself is given out pretty freely by the enemies yeah i, I agree it is generous and the um and refills are also generous i think that you, you're right i i wouldn't enjoy this game as much if uh it didn't have some forgiveness for your very common, uh, I mean, sorry, very frequent mistakes, at least for me. Yeah, I agree. I think it was, you know, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't, they didn't make it too easy, but they definitely made it comfortable compared to a lot of games. Like, it, you know, I, I never felt like I was just going to die on my way to the next stage unless it was really getting difficult. Like, I never felt like uh, it was cheap or anything. A little off topic here, but this got me thinking. On NES games... Uh, do you think you're just more likely to enjoy a game that might be a little easier in the sense that it's not a a one hit kill? Uh, you know, would that would that does that help your enjoyment of the game, or do you think you could like a game where it's one hit and you're out? I, it at least makes it more accessible. Like it it makes it easier for me to like it. So that's why I kind of would prefer a game that has like a difficulty curve where you know I feel comfortable for a good amount of time. So that I can, I can accept the challenge that it plays that that it puts before me later. So, like in games that are hard right off the bat, like aside from like more more, they're in more modern games. Like it's easier for me to get into. But in old games that are hard right off the bat, I just have a hard time getting into them. Yeah, I think I need to be in a very specific mindset where like. If I sit down with a friend, I'm like, hey, let's try and beat this crazy hard game that, you know, everyone tries to, you know, let's try and beat, I would say Ghosts and Goblins, but that didn't turn out to be quite as hard as we thought it was going to be. But, <laughs> you know, the, the just like any of these quintessential games, you know, the Japanese Super Mario Brothers 2, like, let's try and beat that tonight, because that's supposed to be really hard, and, like, that's supposed to be, like, a big challenge. And I know that's not the same thing, but, like, maybe I would like to play, like, a, a game that's one-hit kill if I'm, like, just in a particularly, like really challenge myself mood but i'd say like nine times out of ten when i sit down to play a video game i want to be moderately challenged but also not to the point where like i have to do the same thing a hundred times before i can like become skilled like i need to actually like yeah like uh gain a new like life skill of of playing this game in order to like even comfortably play it yeah it's it's kind of like winter games is how i imagine it where there was that <laughs> ice skating mini game that like it didn't matter what you did your button inputs did nothing and we all scored like zeros and yeah. there's just no reason to keep trying that after like three times of being like well this is just dumb right yeah <laughs> you'd have you'd have to like really really want to commit to like learning the language of that um or or for me it's almost like i know it's this is different but like the analogy being like i love pokemon and once in a while i might be like oh you know it'd be really cool to do a nuzlocke challenge where when a pokemon dies i can't use it ever again like i would hate if the game was like that but like once in a while i'm like oh that's fun because it's such a hard challenge uh 
But for the most part, I like the kind of like medium level of difficulty. I actually see that a lot in uh, really good NES players on, on Twitter will post a lot about like them adding challenges to NES games they're very good at where they try to beat like Super Mario Brothers 1 without ever taking damage. Oh, okay. So right. this isn't just like take a shot if you take damage. No, no, no. It's just like oh. you, ha- you, you reset the game if you take damage. Damn. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's great. You know, there's other people who do like no mushroom ever, you know, so you can't even uh, allow yourself to uh, take a hit because you'll start back at the, uh, at the beginning of the level. I I like challenges like that. I will say that I'm starting to notice as a personal bias that I appreciate games like this a lot more than games that are one hit KOs. And I don't know if that means that easier games are likely to be received better by me. I wouldn't say that as like a, as a as a be all end all statement, but I appreciate a game that is willing to uh, accept mistakes than a game yeah. that expects you to play perfect. I mean, I'll yeah. admit that the only reason I've never played Ninja Gaiden is because I never wanted to deal with one hit kill, and if yeah. that was like the idea in my head of that's a one hit kill game, and I mean I'm going to have to play it <laughs> for this <laughs> all three of them. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, all three. Uh, but I guess it'll be it'll be interesting confronting that. Yeah, I think I think it, it, like for me it comes down to like just the fact that there's it's hard to quantify because there's really like an art to making things that challenging. I think it's really easy to make things incredibly difficult and not fun, you know, like just by making things like almost unfairly difficult. And maybe like a lot of NES games might have. I think that's that whole NES hard thing. A lot of times is talking about that where it's like it's hard because because it's not perf- it's not really well designed or like that uh, the, that kind of thing is where most of my frustration comes from if something is designed to be hard and it's still designed well and it's satisfying i've never played a dark souls game but from what i hear that's like the, the perfect example uh that uh, you know i welcome that i just might not always be in the mood for it <laughs> exactly we haven't talked at all about the bosses in this game and i think that you know it's it's interesting that they're locked to the top down perspective. Were you, were you guys ever expecting like a bigger fight with Sophia the Third as your main helm? Um, I may have thought that when I started the game, but when they sort of when I played the first one, I kind of got the idea that this is just how it was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and a real quick sidebar: I'm surprised that you didn't recognize uh, the. Uh, the creature on the front. It's so funny that you say that because I was <laughs> while uh, while you guys were going on your rant earlier I was watching the ending of the game and I was like wow he is the final boss so you do get to see him that way. <laughs> yeah um, and also in the manual they say we can't show you the final boss um, but then it's just right on the cover of the game. Anyway. <laughs> no but but the, the that that guy transforms into like something he else does. that they're talking about. I see. I see. Yeah. It transforms um, into like Lord Zed from Power Rangers. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Um but anyway, regarding the bosses, I thought that they were fantastic to look at. Um and there there was enough variety in their behavior that I enjoyed at least fighting the ones that I did fight. Um uh and it's kind of weird that you kind of fight them on a black background, but I imagine that's for technical reasons. I think uh, that has to do with the fact of how good they look. They probably yeah. dedicated mm-hmm. all the graphics to the boss. These are definitely the yeah. best looking bosses I've Absolutely. ever seen in an NES game. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I found them very enjoyable. Yeah, I did, I did too. And as far as fighting bosses as Sophia the Third, I don't think that it really crossed my mind 
just because I think I'm like conditioned to just think that like there's a format to these, you know, that would be like in Legend of Zelda, if all of a sudden there was a boss like outside of a dungeon, like just right. in, in the on the outside map. I like Ganon I just, wouldn't just have settles that. things outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he just like came looking for you. Well, I mean, in in the uh, history of video games, there are many examples of uh, like uh, non non standard bosses, like you know, mo- in modern. In modern games, there's like quick time event bosses and all that kind of stuff. So, and I imagine in retro games that I can't just think of off the top of my head, there are uh, bosses that you fight in modes of play that it has not been established. But I guess it's safe to assume that if the bosses you fought, the first if the the first boss you fight is in this kind of way, then that's just how you're going to keep fighting them. Sure, and I would argue that the the Legend of Zelda example is actually uh, a little different because that that overworld is still the same type of layout. Like you fight as totally, Link the yeah. same way that you do here. It was just more like I w- would have you know imagined seeing you have being a fully powered up Sophia the Third and having to use your different beams and the hover and the wall mechanics for like tackling a a giant uh, cave like creature. That would have been cool. Yeah, you know, I, and I'm not arguing that I, I think that that would have been a bad idea. In fact, when you put it like that, you've you've pretty much sold me on on that would be a pretty cool idea. Uh, I just think that the 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 so far the language of these NES games has not conditioned me to even have like considered that. Once I was just like, yeah. oh, this is the way these games are. Like the bosses are in these worlds, the traversals in this part, and yeah, it would have been interesting though to see, especially because it's side scrolling versus top down. Would have been like, fun. A different version. I lament the loss. <laughs> I'm sure you do. here from uh, a different Iwata, not the Iwata of Nintendo fame, Yoshiaki Iwata. Let's go with that. Uh, He was the (laughs) art designer for Blaster Master, and I pulled two quotes from him. I know, Sean, you're always loving to hear what these game designers have to say about their games. I do. So here we go. The goal was really to try and pull off the best graphics on the NES to date. Simple graphics were more or less the standard on the NES at the time, but I had this firm belief that it was possible to do something better, something prettier. I feel like we pulled it off, and we were able to show people what could be done on the NES. It left an impression around the office, and from what I've heard, the visuals influenced the work of other games that were later made by other NES developers as well. We also didn't want to make a game where the player just proceeds forward. We wanted to make the player experience the feeling of excitement that comes from discovering something after endeavoring through a difficult search, which is why we composed a map that allows players to move freely between different areas. We really put a great deal of thought into that element of the game design, 
And I mean this in the best way possible, but we wanted the player to have a struggle. <laughs> to have a struggle. They mean um, that in the best way possible. Oh, and yeah, exactly. I mean, that, I, I, no I hard imagine. feelings. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it was definitely right on the graphic side, right? As the art designer, he did a great job. Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm hopeful that he was telling the truth about uh, how much influence it's, it's had on, like, more NES games. Because, again, like, yeah, this is the best-looking NES game so far. And I'm looking forward to more <laughs> of those. Cause it's, yeah. It's a beautiful art style. Yeah, I, I can't imagine, like, any licensed games like Back to the Future or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles looking that good, but I could see other uh, other games even from Sunsoft who made this one. Like, I could see them, if, if they're releasing other games, using this information to their benefit and yeah. bringing out more pretty games. Oh, he does look like Lord Zed. Right? I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was good. Uh, and then, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but Blaster Master has a, a lot of sequels and spinoffs. Um, I've, I've recently learned of many of them, yes. Okay, okay, that's good. You cheated this time. Yeah, I cheated this time. Will you keep your reactions as genuine? I'll try. Okay, that's good. Joe, did you know that Blaster Master is like a franchise? You know, I it's funny, I assumed because I had heard of, you know, Blaster Master seemed to have this like B level of like popularity. I mean, it's not as popular as things like Castlevania and stuff, but I definitely heard of it. Yeah, it's like this a is based cult on just classic. my perception. Maybe I'm wrong. Is it a cult classic? I would say so. I think a lot of yeah. NES fans know about this game and, and would be shocked to hear people like discovering it. Like, what do you mean yeah. you never played Blaster Master? Right. You know? That's actually why I was surprised that I, I like I said, I've heard of it, but I was surprised that I never have seen gameplay and it's not talked about as much as, as the other ones because it just seems so, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say revolutionary, but like compared to like the NES game so far, it just seems like it's like a Quite a step for NES game. So yeah, so that's your question. I expected that there were sequels and spinoffs. <laughs> Great. Okay. And, and originally there was no sequel planned for uh, Blaster Master because the game sold really poorly. But that changed when the North American release of Blaster Master came and sold really well, which is surprising that it didn't do as well in Japan. But we wouldn't see another Blaster Master game on the NES. It was actually Blaster Master 2 came to the Sega Genesis in 1993 only for North America. So there was no, um, uh, what was it called? Mega Drive? I think it was called Mega Drive in yeah. Japan. Uh, there was no uh, Blaster Master 2 at Mega Drive. The difference is that there are eight levels to play through, and each level uh, contains a power-up or a new obtainable weapon in which Jason or Sophia can use throughout the game. So, I think it was it or Fred. Right, right, that would be interesting. You finally get the, this time. You're Fred searching for Jason. Yeah, he jumps down a hole. Jason jumps down a hole. Fred's gonna find him. Yeah, and if you get a chance, you should check out the the look of this one because I feel like for some reason the graphics aren't really like that much more stepped up for the Genesis version, and they're actually a little ugly. Uh, maybe it's just like the palette, but I wasn't a I wasn't a fan of the way this one looked. And and then we have Blaster Master Junior. Or Blaster Master Boy, depending on which region you're in. And that came out... I like on the... Blaster Master Boy. Yeah, that, I like Blaster Master Boy, too, because it's the... If you look at the box arts for the two, Boy is spaced out really nicely. Uh, <laughs> and that came out on Game Boy in 1992. And that's part of that whole, like, weird trend of, uh, you know, like, NES... Successful NES games getting Game Boy ports that have nothing to do with the original <laughs> game. And this time there's no Sophia, so it's really just... Like Bomberman. Oof. Yeah. See, I don't uh, like that. I don't like that either. I don't know why you would get rid of Sophia the Third, but they did. 
and nobody ever played that game. That's a fact. <laughs> Blaster Master Enemy Below on Game Boy Color in 2000. It pretty much is just like the NES game, just a whole new game, but very little has changed from the and NES that's one. That's the one that just looks like it's super zoomed in. Yes, because of the... I, I don't really understand graphics on, on how that works with like the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color, but it just has to do with the limitation of the how many sprites you can have on screen yeah. and stuff like that. It's the same problem with uh, Metroid 2 Samus Returns on the Game Boy. That one is like the whole screen is just Samus. <laughs> and then there's Blaster Master Blasting Again on the PlayStation. Uh, Sean, did you ever see this in the stores while you were searching for PlayStation games? I very well may have. Um, I, I watched a little bit of footage of the game, and I don't recall anything like it before. Uh, so. I can tell you for sure that I never played it. Got it. Yeah, it's a third-person 3D platformer. I, I don't know if, you know, I mean, I'm sure at the time that that's where this kind of game needed to go, right? That would have been the right direction at the time. Is this PlayStation the, 1 or 2? PlayStation so 1. 1. I think Ooh. it was released when the PS2 was already out. So it's weird that it just didn't get released on that. But Yeah, that is strange, actually. You bring that up. 2001, so I think the PS2 was out, correct? Or was oh, that yes. 2002? It was, eh, it was 2000. Out, yeah. Yeah, 2000, I think, yeah. Uh, Blaster Master Overdrive on the Wii in 2010. It's just that another trend for NES games where they become ugly 2.5D WiiWare games uh, on, the, on the Wii. And the <laughs> WiiWare was like this separate thing on the Wii, Wii eShop that you had to like, you just paid more money for those games because they were WiiWare, whatever that meant. So uh, this follows up with all those other uh, like Konami style NES revival games on Wii, and I didn't like the look of this one either. It looks atrocious. Yeah, it, it's a, something. Something's just wrong with Wii games. There's just something about them. Remember that centipede one? Yeah, a lot <laughs> of the art in this game looks like it was designed for like a knockoff cell phone game. I, I don't know if it, if you can kind of see that. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'll post a, a, a link in the show notes this way everybody can see how these games play. <laughs> uh, on April Fool's Day, uh, 2010, Sunsoft announced that a sequel to the original Blaster Master called Blaster Master Destination Fred would be released <laughs> on the virtual console. And people like were... That. Yeah, they were genuinely distraught. They didn't know if it was an April Fool's prank or not, because why? that's just so random <laughs> that you would announce that it's coming to Virtual Console and that it's for like a game that came out in 1988, but it was just a joke. Destination Fred <laughs> is such a great name, though. Yeah, it, it doesn't end there, though, because Scholastic Books also published a novelization of Blaster Master, the original game, written by uh, a guy named Peter. I'm not even going to try to attempt his last name, but everybody knows <laughs> Peter. Uh, but unfortunately, nobody knows Peter because he wrote all these under the pen name A.L. Singer. And ah. as with all the other books in the series, all acts of violence portrayed in the games, including any death scenes, were removed. And as a result, the bosses were portrayed in this book as holographic projections placed on form over formless blobs. Okay. And you just to blow up the blob. Like, I just think it's funny that, that the author has to specify that every time. Like, this is just a holographic <laughs> projection on a formless blob. It's not, you know, like, the guts that aren't real. <laughs> is it saying that, like, the formless blob is, like, not alive or something? Is there, like, something where it's they're gelatin. like, oh, it's okay that we're killing this 
okay, yeah, so it's, it's just, just like gelatin really that inconveniently to... placed gelatin <laughs> that happens with to just be like demons projected <laughs> yeah. onto them. Yeah, randomly without any consciousness is like attacking and yeah. That's you know, fun, though. I want to read. I want to read some of that prose. And now, Blaster Master has seen a lot uh, of publicity because Blaster Master Zero was like practically a Switch launch game, and then Blaster Master Zero Two, which is not good <laughs> enough to get its own Wikipedia page. Uh, it's also, also just not Blaster Master One or something. It's just weird. Blaster Master right. Zero Two. Zero Two. Uh, and these games actually take the time to look like an NES game. Like they have that Shovel Knight style to them. If that yeah. makes sense, like, no, for sure, yeah, yeah, and, and they add like a lot of dialogue and and story exposition and stuff like that. But otherwise, it pretty much is the NES game again. So if I'm going to take any bets on which one Joe's going to play, it's going to be these Blaster Master Zero games because they those, definitely those would be for me. Yeah, they, they, they we, seem they, like they're for you. They weebified it a little too much for me, but uh, I, I'll probably give it a play. Yeah, I remember uh, considering Zero because the Switch just had very few games at launch, and yeah. I went with The Binding of Isaac instead, which was a good guess, I, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So you enjoyed that game or you didn't? No, I enjoyed that game a lot. I just don't know oh. if that, like, is that the also the idea of, like, an ideal Switch launch game? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's Nothing an indie is. game that's been out forever. It's on everything, so I guess so. But we're going to have to talk about our ideal essential NES games during the essential games list. Okay, I'm going to switch things up here for a minute, and I'm going to vote first. I don't like this, Mike. I'm sorry, like but this. it must happen. I feel uh, like you, des- you deserve it once in a while. Thank you, know? you, thank you. I don't know the last time I've ever voted first, actually. Oh, I could probably trace it back, but c- yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I know you keep a uh, record of <laughs> just the things that happened during the Essential Games list. You have someone transcribe them for you, and you use that against us during the best of episodes. I do that, I actually do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so here's the, here's the thing with Blaster Master for me, is despite any criticisms I might have given during this episode... Uh, I was really just being hard on the exploration part because Iwata talked so much about how he, like, put a lot of thought into that and, the, you know, like, they wanted it to feel like you were progressing. So I was just, I was really just questioning that. Like, did they do enough? To be honest, for me, they, I think they did enough because ultimately this game is just a, a run and gun slash platformer slash metroidvania slash top-down zelda-like game you know it's a lot of different things and the variety really shakes things up often enough that i'm having a good time while playing this game i will say that if you haven't played this game before and you find yourself aligning with my tastes this is the type of game that you don't fall in love with right away uh, it's not it's not the most accessible thing but the more time you give to it the more you kind of like learn to love it and i really learned to love this game as i continued to see the various like different mechanics and play styles and uh going through the each areas and backtracking i think that's really what made the whole game come together this isn't a game that like i was sold on right away even despite the awesome cutscene at the start i was like hey it's a nice start but what do you got else for me and it really took about um you know maybe two to three hours before i was like yeah, this is a game I would definitely see myself playing more of. So Blaster Master is one of the best games we've played on the NES so far. I think it's also one of the games that manages to like tackle multiple genres of games correctly. Well, yeah, yeah, well, you know, like that's just it's just amazing how forward thinking this game is right now. 
And I would have been uh, impressed with this game as a Super Nintendo game, to be honest. So, yeah, it's definitely on my essential games list. Sean? Uh, yeah, I, I I had the same experience where I, I had never heard of this game for the most part. I've heard the game, but I'd never played it and didn't really think too much about it. And now I just feel like someone was hiding this game from me this whole time because I, I, I love it. Uh, it. I had a similar experience in that it took me about an hour to uh, change my uh, my my first assumption of like, oh, this is just a shovelware game. This manual sucks. I judge every game by its manual. Um, and uh, until I was like, oh, no, this has ideas. This is fun. This is well made. Um, and uh, another little uh, little thing I want to I want to just uh, be excited about is uh, just the animation in um, in your tank is 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 crazy like there's a suspension system and the wheels move and all that it's really fun and this is i i agree uh one of the best games we played on the nes so i am giving it a raving essential all right and now joe even though it is an essential game i hardly doubt you're gonna get in the way of us here so go ahead I'm gonna give it two non-essentials just to just to take <laughs> it down. Do you that. speak for Sam, huh? Uh, yes, yeah. He he texted me. Um, now the only thing for me that this game had going against it, well, the, three things that is that kind of trifecta of problems that I mentioned earlier of the fact that you can't that you don't have unlimited that you that you can actually like have to restart the game if you die too much. You have to do it in one sitting, and you can get stuck and be forced to die in order to progress. Those, like, I know this, maybe when I say them out loud, don't sound that big, but, like, while you're playing it, those are pretty big deals. And it, it actually did, for a split second, like, have me thinking, like, well, does does a game with all those problems deserve to be on the essential game list? And I think that despite those problems, yes, it still does. Because it, it uh, the quality of the game otherwise is so good that, I, I mean, I can overlook those little issues and for the most part like this is i i mentioned in uh i think super mario brothers 2 that it was the first time in a long time that i felt like i was i was thinking about this game not just like with oh i gotta put it in context of like it's an nes game but oh this is actually just a good game today it feels like a game i would play today and and blaster master does that too with those couple of exceptions so, I mean, I, I don't have too much more. I feel like I'm kind of rambling. You guys kind of said it all. I think this game is fantastic. I think that uh, everyone should play it, honestly. I think it's a it's definitely essential. All right. Three for three. Uh, we had a four for four with Super Mario Brothers 2, but I could imagine that if Sam played this game, he would have also given that essential. But, you know, I think it's just time to talk about the last four episodes and yeah. how we have three essential games out of the last four episodes. I really thought Anticipation was going to pull it off for I a minute. I thought it was going to make it, yeah. You know, and then I played it. <laughs> yeah. um, so that that was the problem there. But this is really like, this is a great holiday season for Nintendo because this is all October and November of 88. And if you like video games, I think right now, uh, these, you know, especially Super Mario Brothers 2... Blaster Master, and we have big ones coming up like Castlevania 2 and Zelda 2. It's clear that like Nintendo was pushing these games to get a hot, or maybe not Nintendo, but just like a lot of developers were thinking about putting their best games forward during Christmas with a lot of people already owning or planning to buy 
uh, Nintendo Entertainment Systems. Yeah, I think that this is actually like, this is an exciting and also slightly dangerous time for us because I think our hopes are getting so high for the future because everything has been so good. And I just got to imagine that they, like, how long can this be kept up is, is my question. I mean, there's like, we still have like, what, like 580 games to go or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, still hype. I still have hype for Color of Dinosaur. You can't talk me out <laughs> right. of that. I think that there's still going to be exciting times ahead. Yeah. And I mean, for what it's worth, out of the, uh, all the different games that we've played, I think we, I think we're on episode 135. Uh, that means that 70% are just absolute garbage still. <laughs> so it's not like we, you know, even though we're getting this high of like three new essential games in four episodes. It's not like the bad stuff isn't over you know isn't overwhelming us and it still stinks a lot in here. Yeah, and, and <laughs> statistically speaking, we should have about 502 bad games total based on that 70%. So yeah, we'll see how that checks out. But but I will say I, I I think that these last three essential games for me personally have been on my my higher end of my essential games list. I'd have to really do the math to figure it out. And I and I'm not sure if you guys felt exactly the same about Spy versus Spy, but I think all three of these for me are like are like higher tier. Yo, Joe, Joe don't introduce a new tier of the essential games. If I had to rank my essential games list, I think these would be these would be up there. These are platinum emerald tier, not just platinum <laughs> tier. Yeah, it's actually it's a it's a small microtransaction of five ninety nine a month to find out which <laughs> essential games we think are better. Right. Than which the are, which are the games. golden essential games? Yes, just you could find out if you just unlock that DLC. Yeah. Next well, week we we have another big game, uh, Bubble Bobble. You guys, bubble Bobble, Bubble Bobble, Bubble Bobble. Oh. <laughs> and that game, I know uh, you're looking forward to color a dinosaur, but I think those guys are dinosaurs. I, you know what? I don't even know. I don't even, I don't, yeah, I don't even know what Bubble Bobble looks like. That's funny. All I know wow. about Bubble Bobble is Bubble Bobble, oh, wait, Bubble no, Dragon. I know Bubble Bobble. I love Bubble Bobble. I forgot what Bubble Bobble was. All I know about Bubble Bobble is Bubble Bobble, Double Dribble, Double Dragon F-Zero. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true, Joe. Well said. Uh, I think. It. I actually think, yeah, with that, we should close out the show. Thanks for uh, so much for listening, and thanks, Joe, for giving us a clear exit. Uh, <laughs> if you want to hear more NostalgiaCast, just, uh, you know, do the thing where you're on your app right now. You must be listening to us on a podcast app. So just continue to find us on that podcast app. We have 134 episodes by my math, plus some specials. So a whole episode on Sonic the Hedgehog, if you can believe it. And oh, then yeah. If, <laughs> yeah, we did that. And then if you no, want... I, I don't remember doing that. Yeah, I was saying, when was this? Oh, sorry, guys. Yeah, that was uh, alternate universe, uh, Sean and Joe. <laughs> but it was real universe me. Universe 1, Espo, but with <laughs> Universe 2, Sean and Joe. How come you get to cross? That's where he goes on mics without Mike. Yeah, that was me with the Sean who laughs. Uh, that's who that was. And that was also with uh, the Russian Joe instead of the uh, the Joe. Joe we have today. I don't know. You know, it's like there was a Russian. There was the Red Sun Superman. Yeah. And we I don't know if you. Yeah. yeah. Do you know about the, the Batman who laughs? I've heard of the Batman who laughs. Okay, I just, it's so ridiculous. It's so stupid. We don't do stupid stuff like that on our show. Instead, we bring education right to you, the people, on our Twitter, at NostalgiaCast. I'm always providing images of um, what I like to think are thoughtful things with educative facts to them. Did you know that Spy vs. Spy debuted in Mad Magazine number 60, which congratulated both Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy for winning the election, depending on which way you read the issue. 
Well, you would if you listened to that episode, or if you just went on the Twitter and got the SparkNotes versions of the episodes. Something yeah, I like think that. If, if, if you need to homeschool your kids, just put them in front of our Twitter. There you go. Yeah. And as of August 12th, 2020, Final Fantasy VII is on Xbox Game Pass. So stop listening to this episode and go play that. Whoa. I was, I was unaware of that. It just happened 20 minutes up. ago. Yeah. Wow. Wow.